You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, The Reciprocal Effect, recorded on April 22, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, Harvest. Whether you're watching uh, where I'm standing, right here in beautiful Catanning, that's how you say it. You always say beautiful before Catanning, or in Indiana, Pennsylvania, or in the Petroleum Valley, or in Freeport, or in, if you're unfortunate enough to be in jail, we're happy, nevertheless, that you're getting to hear us today, and uh, we, we get to worship God with the Word. If you're a first-time visitor, um, uh, my name is Mike. I guess that's what you need to know. And I'm going to read you a story. When I, was, uh, when I had little kids... If you haven't had kids yet and you're young or you have little kids, I'm going to give you free advice um, for dads. Uh, for dads. Uh, one of the best things, habits you can get into is reading to your children at bedtime uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it gives your wife the, the final break of the day, all right? <laughs> Your wife really needs you from supper time to bedtime, especially, no matter what else. But definitely at bedtime, if you're the last one in the room, that gives her a break. But the second thing is, your kids will actually settle down and look forward to it. And they might actually have conversations with you about real life things. Third, you'll get them to love books. And I mean books without pictures in them. Just as soon as they're old enough to listen, find books that you can read to them. And they'll learn to love books books and it's just good dad time and then I'll always end it with a prayer and um, it's just a great thing to do now that's just free advice from a dad who did a lot of things wrong but that was one thing I did right and so um, I, uh, I urge you to do the same but it's not bedtime so don't go to sleep but I'd like to read you a story right now all right so don't open your bibles and don't look this up and don't don't put it on the screen let me read to you a story from Luke Uh, from the the Gospel of Luke, okay? One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went to that Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in that Pharisee's house, brought an expensive alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet... Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair from her head and she kissed his feet. Yuck. And anointed them with an ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him because she is a sinner. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, his name was Simon. This is not Peter. Uh, There's more than one Simon in the world and this Pharisee's name is Simon. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, well, say it, teacher. He said, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. Uh, A denarii is a day's wage, right? So... Today, that'd be 80 to 120 bucks, maybe, for a laborer uh, at the entry level. So, this is a lot. One owed 500 denarii. The other owed 50 denarii. 
When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now, Simon, which one do you think loved him more? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. You can imagine people laughing when they heard that answer, because it makes sense. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly, Simon. Then he turned toward the woman, and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Simon's probably thinking, yeah, I I see her. I was wondering if you saw her and just know what sort of woman she is. He said, I entered your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet. You see, back in those days, it was common to give you water for your feet because that's the part of you that was dirty. And they might have a, a basin and you pour the water out, you can at least stick your feet in there and scrub them with a little towel. And if you're very wealthy and you could afford it, you might even have a slave or a servant wash people's feet. And he's saying, look, you didn't give me any water, but she's wet my feet. And she didn't bring a sponge, she's using her tears. And she's not using a towel, she's wiping them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. Now, in our society, men generally don't kiss when they greet. And I think that's generally a good rule myself. <laughs> Most men do. But in the, that society, and I've been in societies in the world, maybe some of you have visited places in the world where it is customary for men to kiss in a purely heterosexual greeting way. They'll kiss you on one cheek and the other cheek. And in, in that society, it was a way of saying, you're blessed. They would males would kiss in a, in a greeting way. Well, this guy, he says, you didn't give me a kiss, which he makes you think. Jesus comes into his house. He doesn't give him a kiss. That's no way to show that the rest of the people in the, in the house that it's an honored guest, is it? So you didn't worry about my feet. You didn't give me a kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. Which is a big, to me, that's, that's embarrassing, by the way. Um, I think it's equally a spectacle to them. I mean, wouldn't it be odd if you're at a restaurant, say, and there's eight or nine people around the table and some lady just shows up, hits the ground, pulls your shoes off and starts kissing your feet? Wouldn't you be embarrassed? (laughs) You did not anoint my head with oil, which could be a kindness, a little going over the top to put oil, oil for the skin. They live in a dry place. Uh, um, That would be a very gracious thing to do for somebody. He says, you didn't do that for me, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. She spent the money. That alabaster flask was, 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 she was spending some dough. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. How do I know this? (laughs) She loved me much. But the one who's forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? He even says he forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus is cool. You just hang out with him and these kind of things. I mean, this is, this is spectacle. I mean, I mean, this is stuff that, this is gossip column stuff. I mean, this is exciting. You want to go to parties with Jesus because these kinds of things happen. 
and it'll get them on the e-network, you know? Disgraceful woman. Yes, this is a disgraceful woman. How disgraceful? She's so disgraceful. Everybody knows what a sinner she is. We're not told what her sins are. But if everybody in town knows that's the sinful woman, well, you could probably guess the sins. Jesus' answer to Simon was a parable, a little, a story within the story. There's two guys who, who owe another guy. One of them owes two years' wages. The other owns a, a, two months' wages. <laughs> and he forgives them both. Which one do you think is a little happier about that? What, what's going on with this picture? And what is the story that Jesus has given us? What we see here is an example of what I would call the reciprocal effect of the love of God. Reciprocal is a word we all had to learn back in like sixth grade in math, right? What it means is what you give comes back, right? I say that for those who skipped the sixth grade. Everybody else knew. The the love of God has a reciprocal effect. Many things have an effect, right? (laughs) We also learn that if, if if one object has force against another, it's going to have an equal and opposite reaction to its action, right? That's for the physics people in here who like to think about that. Things have effects on things. If I pick up a ball and throw it, it will, the effect of me, of my throwing motion will be the ball f- flies. If, if, if Sid Crosby, right this minute, slaps a puck into the goal, it could happen. The slapping means to fly. What if there's other things you can lie in the sun and the effect is sunburn or suntan, depending on which one, you know, which one you're ready for. You could be out worshiping the sun god, Ra, and find out that Ra will give you melanoma or carcinomas. There is no sun god. What's the effect if the love of God is thrown on you. If the forgiveness of sins is thrown on you, what's going to happen to you? In other words, what's the reaction? We think about receiving the love of God. Do you think about what kind of change that's going to make in us? For our map, for our community groups, let's write this down. And if you're not in a community group, write it down anyway. Ready? If you, if you like. The reciprocal effect of the love of God means that those who receive the love of God respond by giving all things they have to God and to his service. This principle is throughout the scripture. It's definitely throughout the New Testament. The idea that if you receive the love of God and stay the same, that's an impossibility. It's impossible. It's just like if I throw a ball and it goes nowhere, (laughs) I didn't throw it. If you lay in the sun and, and you get no radiation into you, it's impossible. This, the, Jesus' parable is clear. He's saying, look, Simon, you didn't kiss me. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't do nothing. The reason this woman you think is a rotten woman 
is doing this is because apparently Jesus already had a relationship with her. He already had a friendship with her. She knew him. Whether she knew him by listening to his preaching and teaching or actually talking to him, we do not know. But she knew, this is a man of God. This is a man who will love me no matter what I've done. And God, and, and he says, I have forgiven her. And what you're seeing is a response to that. And I'll tell you a parable of how you'll know. If one guy forgives two debts, what kind of responses are you going to get? Well, if, if someone thinks they're forgiven a lot, they're going to love you. This woman knows she's been forgiven a lot. And what you're seeing here is the evidence. She's pouring out her self-respect. <laughs> she's pouring out her dignity. She's pouring out her soul. And she's using expensive ointment, almost like a symbol of that. And she's showing me love. Simon, you showed little concern for Jesus. Why does Simon show little concern? He, he was having the traveling prophet at his house. And he doesn't, he, he, Simon's got means. He doesn't even give the man a towel. He doesn't even give the man something to wash his nasty toes. He doesn't even give the man a, the proper cultural greeting of a kiss. He does nothing for him. Why not? According to the parable, because he doesn't feel like Jesus has given him anything. He doesn't feel like he's receiving anything from Jesus. Have you ever seen people, and maybe you're one of them, maybe you know one, but no matter how many times they hear about the love of God, no matter how many times they go to church, they never seem obligated to Jesus in any way. You ever see that? You know why? Because just like Simon, no matter what it looks like on the outside, their actions are showing they have not received Jesus. Because if you receive him, if you get Jesus, there's an effect. There's an effect. And this woman's displaying that effect. Have you received Jesus? How do you know? Those who receive Jesus love back. You might say, well, I would receive Jesus, but he won't have me. That ain't so. This woman is a known sinner. That's as bad as it gets. Jesus happily received her. We remember that Jesus died on a cross to pay for the sins of others so he could forgive them. Why Christianity just wants to tell you what to do. Christianity just wants to make you feel bad. Christianity just wants to teach you to hate homosexuals. Christianity just wants to teach you to hate Muslims. Christianity just wants to teach you you got to keep all these rules. Christianity just wants you to be uptight about your sex life. Christianity is just for people who want to condemn other people. It's just hypocrites. None of that's true. Uh, <coughs> that's the story on the streets. But none of it's true. How do I know? Because I know Christians. <laughs> Truth is, Christians are sinners. Saved by God who loves sinful people. And he loves them so much that he forgave all their debt by saying, put it on me, God, and dying on a cross. When God comes down as a man and dies for you, here's what the Bible says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus did not come to send you to hell. But in order that the world might be saved through him. 
If Jesus does not come, does not die on a cross, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is a debt to be paid by mankind because mankind does evil all the time. That includes you. That includes me. It includes Mother Teresa and Billy Doggone Graham. If Jesus doesn't pay the price, the price is not paid and a holy God will punish. But Jesus did die. And he freely gives. But it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Have you trusted in Jesus? Because that's what believe means. But look here, it says, whoever does not believe is condemned already. People say, well, you're saying Jesus, God's going to send me to hell just because I heard about Jesus and didn't believe in him. Oh, no. No, no, no. He wouldn't do that. That's not right. He's going to send you to hell because you deserve to go to hell. He's going to send you to hell because of your evil deeds against the holy God. For all those sins you're ashamed of. That's what he's sending you to hell for. You're already condemned. Jesus doesn't come to rescue people who who are righteous. He comes to rescue people who the judge has already laid down the gavel and said, guilty. Those are the only ones he he saves. Have you trusted the Savior? Here's how you know. Reciprocal love will grow out of you. That's how you know. That's how you know. Most all of you here can think of a time when you met the Savior and something changed within you. If that reciprocal love for God expressed by giving all to him has never happened, you've never had those impulses, I don't care how religious you are, my guess is you've never received anything. It means you may have never met Christ, maybe now is your time. Now, that's the story. That was a very long introduction to a very short sermon. The reason why is because the text today is from Luke chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. And so if you can open your Bibles or devices to that, that story comes right before our text. And I don't know why I never noticed it before, but when in studying this, I noticed those two go together. That that what's happening in Verses 1 to 3 is an example of a principle we just learned from that story, which happened in Luke chapter 7. So if you'd open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. Are you ready? Now these will be on the wall, and hopefully they will be in your open Bibles or devices. And, and uh, here we go. Soon afterwards, soon after what? What I just told you happened at Simon's house. Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus went everywhere he went and said, the kingdom of God is here. What does that mean? Well, the king is standing here, and my rule is coming to the earth. And by the way, his rule has come to the earth. He lives as king in the hearts of every human who loves him, and he is, everyone who does not love him lives as a rebel against the king of the universe because his kingdom is here and one day we will see it fully but right now there's the king he's walking around saying repent of your sins and believe and the 12 were with him you know who the 12 are right now you don't have to name them I'm not sure I could name them all right and I'm the pastor some of you learned to name them in 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 Sunday school there was a time when I probably could have gotten them all I think if I 
you know, I can always, rem- you're going to remember Peter, <laughs> right? And <laughs> you can always remember Andrew and his brother and Tim, uh, who's that guy's name? The, uh, the twin. Di- um, and, and, you, and you can, you know, you can remember the, the brothers John and James and there's two Judases. I don't know why there's two Judases, but there are. Um, one's bad. And after that, Judas was no longer a good name for kids and But it doesn't matter if you remember them all. You know who they are because you can't go to a church or a city in America doesn't have a church that doesn't have them in stained glass. You can go all over Europe and there are statues of these guys. The big 12. They are the apostles. They are the ones who God, Jesus chose these 12 guys, all men. He was committed to the patriarchy apparently. I was smiling when I said it. Obviously, you weren't, okay. Too soon after the feminist revolution? That's okay. So, all men. And Jesus said, you guys are the ones I have chosen. You didn't choose me. I chose you. You're going to take my gospel and spread it to the whole world. And, and, and doggone if they didn't do that. And whenever you see the 12, it's hard not to stop and think about what it's like to travel around on a camping trip with Jesus for three years, right? Which is what they did. Seeing all he did. But you know what? There were some other people who were always traveling with them. That are, it's really easy to just shoot by verse 2 and 3 and not think about the reality. Look at this. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. How many? We don't know. Some. Maybe that lady we just heard about is one of the some. Remember, these, these, these gospels are written by eyewitnesses. Luke knows these people. He says, some, some women, the 12, you, and all the pictures, there's 12 dudes and Jesus out in the wilderness. No one paints the women. They just are left out of the painting. Put them in. If you ever get a chance to go to like France and go to their fancy museums and you see a picture of the 12 and there's no women, you have my permission under the authority of the pastor here, to take a paintbrush. And when you're arrested, you tell him I said it was okay. The picture's wrong. But we know some of their names. One of them is Mary, called Magdalene. It's not the mother of Jesus. Seven demons were sent out of her. How much torment did Mary live in her life? How much insanity how much craziness, how much darkness, how much evil, and how much do you think she loved Jesus? If Jesus set you free of seven demons, I think you're going to respond. And there was Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. I don't know these people. Herod was a bad guy, right? He was a fake king. And uh, he didn't like Jesus, and he would prove that at the end of Jesus' life. But apparently, the guy who ran his whole household, his wife was a believer. Her name was Joanna, and she traveled around with Jesus. And Susanna, this isn't O Susanna from Alabama. We don't know who she is. We have no idea who Susanna is. Who else? And many others. A few others? No. A couple others? No. One other? No. Many others. Don't know how many. Could have been another dozen women. Could have been more. And what were they doing? 
who provided for them. Who are them? The tw- those 12 men who get in all the statues. The 12 men get the statues. These women are paying the bills out of their means. What do we see here? We could call these ladies the first ladies of Christianity. Luke seems to know them. From the beginning, Jesus treated women as equal to men. I want to be very careful here. Jesus did not treat women as if they were the same as men. No, no. He recognized that women are wives and mothers, sisters, and men are husbands and fathers and brothers. He recognized that God made them differently and they have different roles. He did not make all the apostles males to oppress women, but he did make all the apostles males for a reason. He respects the differences because he made them that way. But he never makes them unequal in their value. Many think Christianity is trying to keep a sister down. That is a rewriting of history. Jesus was revolutionary in his time and revolutionary for the value of women for the last 2,000 years because he treated them just like everybody else. And he taught them (laughs) just just like the dudes. They were the first to see him when he rose from the dead. But also, these women finance the three-year ministry of Jesus. You ever wonder how they can afford to just wander around for three years? He didn't pick rich guys to be his apostles. He picked fishermen. They're not catching fish. They're not making dough. We know little about these women. But I have a question for you. Do you think heaven knows who they are? When the story's told up yonder, do you think the people who are up there know who they are? Very important women. Why did they finance this itinerant preacher and his 12 co-workers? Because they knew the love of Jesus. That's it. And they reciprocated. He set several of them free of demons, it said. Not just Mary. They knew the forgiveness of Jesus. Like the woman in the story. She might have been one of them. She might have made a really good living being a very sinful woman. You don't know. Might as well redeem the cash. Somebody comes into church selling crack and getting rich off it and he gets saved. And he puts his money in the plate to go for the Lord. I would not say take it out. <laughs> I'd say, good, now you're doing something good. Maybe that's it. No doubt some of them are business women. The, the idea that the love of Jesus is reciprocated, and that's how his ministry gets done, is right there, right from the start. It, it, it shouldn't. You know, we love stuff and treasure because God made humans to love treasure. And when you become a Christian, what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to realize that all the treasures of this earth that you ran after aren't the treasure you were looking for. 
But the treasure you're looking for is Jesus. And now we say, what do I do with this treasure here? I got to advance this man's fame. That's what it's for. And that's the example in the scripture. Zacchaeus was a little bitty man. If you were raised in a Protestant Sunday school, I was not. But as I became a pastor, I learned there was a song for Zacchaeus. And pretty much the focus of the song is that he was a little bitty man. This is a cruel song to teach children. (laughs) The only reason his stature is in there is because he couldn't see Jesus. Poor guy forever. He's a, don't pick on people like that, kids. His bigger problem was that he was a rascal. He, like the woman, was a known sinner and nobody liked Zacchaeus. He worked as a traitor to the Jews, a Jew who worked for the Romans. It'd be like a Jew working for the Nazis. He collected their taxes and he stole more than he should have. And they didn't like him. So when Jesus was going through town, (laughs) can you imagine Zacchaeus says, man, I've heard all about this guy. I want to see him. And he gets out there and, I mean, if I am one of the Jews who's following Jesus and I see little Zacchaeus, I'd like to say I'm the hero who puts him on my shoulders and say, can you see now? But I might have been the guy who says, he just overtaxed me. It could be like April the 17th. And I'll be like, <laughs> I'll be like, poof, and he falls down. That's too bad for you. But he, was, uh, he had some gumption, so he, he ran up ahead. He saw a tree, climbed in the tree. When Jesus and the whole crowd's walking under the tree, He's looking down on their bold spots and he says, I'll, I'll see them from up here. I may not have any friends, but I can see them. Let's cut in on that story in Luke 19. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Jesus has this habit of making friends with the worst possible people. You are not going to be popular if you keep making friends with ladies who are dripping their tears all over your toes and, and, and little thieves in trees. But that's, that's who he hangs out with. So he says, come on down. I'm going to your house. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. The text doesn't really tell us who's receiving who joyfully. It's really hard to say. I'm guessing Zacchaeus received Christ joyfully. But I think it would work either way. (laughs) And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. As if they're not. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. Have you... (laughs) I would have wanted to be defrauded at that moment. (laughs) That's a good return on your investment. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. That means a good Jew. Good Jew. He's a good Jew. How do we know? Look at his response. He received the love of Jesus and he had a reciprocal response. He took his treasure and he gave it. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It is a privilege for us 
to be found by Christ. Uh, And a special word to those of you who grew up in the church. I heard a testimony from one of our people recently. And um, he he had been saved at a young age like so many of you were. And, uh, but then... He introduced a problem that really was kind of heartbreaking as I listened to him tell his story. I was watching it on video. It's one of our people here who goes to Harvest. And what he talked about was how when life had some hard turns, he turned away from God and away from the church for a while. And then when he thought it's time to turn back, he felt like he's carrying a load of guilt. That's a whole different kind of guilt than I had when I came to Christ. If you come as an adult with your sin... It's a pretty simple transaction. I'm not on your team. Now I'm on your team. Yay. But if you grew up a Christian and you've walked away and now you feel like you have been a great failure to God, you may feel like grace is farther away than a sinner would feel who takes him for the first time. You know what I mean? Is that you today? And you're like the man who gave this testimony. Let me give you the end of his testimony was... Well, he actually came in here and he heard Pastor Scott preach. I was on my little sabbatical. And uh, he was reminded that it's all of grace. And the burden was taken off. So if that's you, and you said, man, I've walked away from him. (laughs) Wonder if he loves me like he loves those rotten sinners. Of course he does. Of course he does. You're the older brother. He's always loved you. Just come back. He came to seek and to save the lost and the saved who took a detour. <laughs> He's on your side. But that I know that message is for a few people, and I don't know who, but let the Spirit speak to you as he will. Let me give you the principle, and then we're going to wrap this up. Told you it was a short sermon. Here's the principle. People who have received the love of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins respond by generously supplying the ministry of Jesus on the earth. That's always been the way from the beginning. It's like you get right with God and you get right with the things of the earth all of a sudden. That means that giving to the mission of the church is never an act of force or compulsion. When I say never, I'm not talking historically. There have been times when churches with the control of the state, have forced people to tithe or to give. Or there may have been times when the cultural value in a free place, you felt like you had to give. No, no. It's never an act of force and compulsion, but it is the generous reciprocal effect of the love of God for sinners. Which means that if if there is no supply for the mission, you're saying there's not as much love for the Christ. And there's not as much forgiveness of sins in this place. And the verse is true in a happy way. Last week, I began to talk about the next initiative. And we got two more sermons on it, but I'm choosing to be repetitive this week for those who weren't here last week. So if you guys who were here last week would just be patient, I want to just review some of the exact same details. We know you should have already seen a video in all the campuses. If not, you are about to, but you should have already seen it one we showed last week. Let me just um, let you know again what the next initiative is. We are at a crossroads at Harvest Community Church, and it's a good crossroads. The Lord has blessed us greatly. 
the question is, are we going to stop at this crossroads, content to stay the same size, stop seeking to grow, stop seeking to reach out, or will we lovingly, generously supply the mission to the extent that we can take the next step that God has for us? The next initiative is designed to urge all of us to come together as a people, as a church, and say to God, God, we're not content with the work that's done so far. We want to take the next step. No matter what the cost, we want um, to grow the health and size of your church. We're led by the same mission. This mission, I want to read right off my page. It's not a page, it's a screen. Because this is our stated mission. Uh, um, If I could put it this way, our vision, which we've said a million times and we'll say a million more, is we, we exist to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. And a healthy church is made up of healthy disciples. And healthy disciples are always working on on three disciplines. And that's loving other people, walking with God, and seeking the lost. And, And I know that many of you work on those all the time. But our specific mission right now, which could change in the future, that we've been working on for years, is in writing. And it says this, we will expand plant and grow elder-led campuses in Pennsylvania while investing in world missions in order to increase the number of believers that have access to a healthy church. Next week, that's going to be in your map. (laughs) Because I made sure it's in the map and you can write it down then. A word about community groups. Uh, One of the things we've done in this next initiative, we've done a lot behind the scenes. We've talked to a lot of people. We've collected testimonies on video and a lot verbally. And a lot of people have said, one of the things that really helped is when I came to Harvest, not only were there the the sermons and worship service with the the music and all that, was I joined a community group. And I got to know other Christians. Um, I want you to know that 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 is just a great way to connect to other believers to have prayer, to have Bible study, and think, how am I going to apply this sermon in my life? And also have the relationships that God intends to help you grow. Now, we have community groups going right now. They're going to finish out into uh, summer, which is going to come fast. Yes, summer does come still. I, I believe it. Uh, you know, it's been 54 years. I've never had a year where summer didn't come. So I expect it even to come this year, though we haven't seen much yet. And we'll have a break, and in the fall, we'll start again. If you have not joined a community group, let me urge you to come in and and join one, even host one in the fall, and join one in the fall. Um, But it's not too late to try one out now, of course. Um, Let me end that and come back to this next initiative. We do face the problem of, 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 of very specific specific obstacles to growth. The number of workers we have, the challenges of our facilities, and the current level of generosity. What we're calling every person who calls Harvest Home to do is embrace this initiative, praying for your church, and asking God, how much would he have you commit to his mission through your church? Now, some of you are generous with a lot of things, but you wonder if your church is a place to be generous. You think, oh, how exciting it is to give to this place on the radio. Or, oh, how exciting it is I get this thing in the mail from these people. I can buy goats and do this or whatever. But give to my church and you think, well, I don't know if they're going to do as much good. 
you should always give to your church first because that's the example of the Bible. They brought the ties to the apostles' feet. And, then, and also, this is where you are blessed. This is, and where your money is, that's where your heart is. And then, I'm going to tell you, still be generous with those other things that move your heart afterwards. Now, I'm talking to the people who already give. And trust me, they don't mind me talking about money. The only people who generally mind you talking about money are the ones who uh, aren't familiar with Christ, haven't received much of him, or they're wondering about your motives. <laughs> and if you're wondering about my motives, I don't know what to say except for don't give a dime until you know that our motives are good. Um, the goal of our next initiative is to use the next two years to increase the generosity towards harvest. We project that over the next two years, if we just tithe, we'll probably get about $1.1 to $1.2 million a year because that's what we got last year. And that would be 2.2 to 2.4 million over two years. We just want to bump that up to 4 million. Little bump, no big deal. (laughs) So that we can do what with the money? Not increase the pay of, of the pastors, but to maybe hire more. To hire more staff, fix more things that are broke, update more technology, and best of all, start new campuses, because that's what we do, and send more people out to reach the unreached. The next initiative challenges us to raise that number to four million in two years. I'm reading. This is, again, repetitive for some of you, but for you haven't been here, if you haven't been here, I want to say it again. This money will be used to further the mission you're already familiar with, to see more campuses planted, to call more men and women, to work at Harvest, to bring about growth, to update our technologies, to maximize our facilities, and to reach more people with the word of Christ. Last week, we introduced you to this and to this card. <laughs> and hopefully if you didn't get one, on your way out from every campus, there will be this nice magazine. Have you guys had a chance to look through it? Isn't it cool? I think we, uh, by the way, we, a lot of people work together to make these cool resources. Um, but among them, if you don't know them, one of the guys who led the whole thing was, was Pastor Dave from the Catanning campus. Um, he should get a hand for this. He did a really good job overseeing it. And... But this card is, 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 this is the focus point. <laughs> um, uh, it has a generosity ladder that your campus pastors are going to be talking to you more about this week and the weeks to come. And then your own faith commitment over these two years. I want to reassure you, those of you who are hearing this for the first time, that if you write numbers on here, no one is going to bug you to make sure you do anything. It's between you and the Lord. But we would like to all make the commitment together. So on May, the weekend of May 6th, Friday at Catanning and Sunday at Catanning and all the campuses is our commitment weekend where we would like to all together put in our cards if you haven't turned it in yet. I still haven't turned mine in. I think I'll turn it in then. And then we will know what our total intended commitment is at that point. And we'll let you know the following week. These are the mechanics of the next... Um, initiative. If you have questions in the next couple of weeks, because I'm not going to cover it in this much detail from the sermons in the next couple of weeks, but I'm willing to answer any question. Our uh, pastors and some of our elders have been meeting with a lot of you for the last several weeks and talking to literally over a hundred people about what's going on. And I've got to tell you just how moved I am by the response. 
by the generosity already in the hearts of so many people who have already given to make Harvest go. Um, I'm particularly moved by the elders. Because <laughs> think about this, we have a couple dozen elders. You get to be an elder in a church. So the lead pastor comes and says to some of the elders, <laughs> now's a good time for us to try to push by some barriers so we don't get stuck, so we don't stagnate. And that's going to mean money. <laughs> and then you say to the elders, if the leaders don't think it's worth their money, then it's not worth asking anybody else. To which might be a good time for some people to say, can I quit the gang? (laughs) I mean, there's no way to say that without an implied pressure on those people, which I'd never want to imply, if you know what I mean. There it is. There was almost, there was really no pushback. Which means that the people who are called to lead you the husbands and fathers among you, they believe that what they're calling you to is worth it for them. And I'm, and this, I'm especially touched by the elders who are also staff pastors and especially the campus pastors. Because the campus pastors, to a man, have voluntarily said they will stand in front of their congregation and give out their commitment. I've told you... I'm sorry, I forgot. I didn't tell you all if you weren't here last week. My wife and I decided that we were going to move our tithe from 10% for the next two years to 20% for the next two years. Um, Because we believe in this mission. And we're throwing our skin in the game. But when I heard, I was, uh, Kevin talk here, and I also, I haven't heard Scott talk or Fred talk, but I have heard that Pastor Mike and Elizabeth um, in Freeport I can't tell you how touched I was to hear from somebody else that they're moving their tithe from 10% to 15%. Why particularly them? Think about their job. Now, the way it works here is we really try to work as a band of brothers and sisters for the women who are involved in, who are employees here, but for the pastors, a band of brothers. Imagine, uh, in that metaphor, big brother, (laughs) I don't like that. That sounds like George Orwell. Older brother, let's go with that, says, by the way, we need to lead the way on a generosity initiative. Satan, you know, would like to say to that person, oh, so you just have to give more of your pay if you want to keep your job. You're going to be the only campus pastor who doesn't give a little more? (laughs) I mean, think about that position that they're in. And by the way, I would never, ever, require any of them to go over just because of this initiative but I'd also challenge them all four of them to a man it was like I was asking them would you like to go swimming on a hot summer day pastors don't get rich except the ones on TV which I might switch to you know if you guys ever hate me No, I won't. If you plant a seed, I can do it. Plant your seed, get more back. <laughs> they, they're not getting rich. They love their flocks. They believe in the mission, and they're putting their skin in the game. And they're not alone. There's, there, there's some 
people in this church who many of you don't even know it, make things go. And they're feeling, this is what we're here to do, to increase the health and size of God's church. We want everyone to be a part of it. Everybody to be a part of it. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.